0: good to go. Good morning once again. It's such a pleasure to be here this morning, such a delight. Thank you for inviting us. I have two of my colleagues here, so I know you know quite a bit about London City Mission, and so I will go straight into my message this morning. Uh, Shall we pray? Our gracious God, we want to thank you so much uh, because indeed, you are a good God. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, you gave as a ransom for our sins. And through him and by him, you've called us into your family. It's our prayer this morning that as we look into your word, that you will teach us. You will lighten the eyes of our understanding that we know you more. And our hearts will be more rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the praise and for your glory. We pray and we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If we open our Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 2. I know we all are at the end of the year. And uh, at the end of every year we tend to want to reflect on what the new year holds for us. But I was praying and I was thinking, what will I share with you this morning that will give us more of a corporate hunger for God in the new year? Because I know as individuals, we always tend to seek God as Christians. But as, as God's family... What could be the corporate encouragement for us this morning? So in our church, in Hope Church, we have we determined that next year we want to pray more. We want to, next year to be a year of developing our prayer life. And we also want to read a couple of books on prayer. So I thought I would leave you, with you an encouragement this morning about... Unity within the context of a spirit-led church. When a church gives herself to the ministry of the spirit, as a sense in which the church gets more and more united in the Lord Jesus Christ and with one another, and that leads to the furtherance of God's mission, In our city, and that corporate way of doing it together is amazing. People ask me all the time, "Tayo, what do we need to do to grow our church? What do we need to do to become very multicultural and very diverse?" Because I've got a passion for that, and I say to them, "Just do what the Bible says." Just do those simple things that the Bible talks about. So I'm going to read Acts 2, this morning, from verse 42 through to 47. And I read from the Church Bibles, which is the ESV. Acts 2, to 47. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, Please notice the, the article there, the, is very important. Thy fellowship and to that breaking of bread and thy prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were be done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing Distributing the process to all as any heart need. And verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And verse 47 says, They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. It's uh, amazing to just see what God can do in the context of His Spirit. Many commentators have agreed now that the book of Acts, instead of being called the Acts of the Apostles, should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because what we see through the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit at work through God's people and reaching out, reaching out onto the ends of the earth. I will build some context into this before we move forward to help us see the place of the Spirit. If you look at Acts 1 and verse 5, there's a promise there that talks about how you, God's people, will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, that was reinforced again. And the Bible says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When we get to Acts 2 and and verse 4, that promise became fulfilled. And we're told that God's people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now let me make a clear difference here this morning, friends. There's a very remarkable difference between being baptized by the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Baptism is only done once in the lifetime of a Christian. But feeling is ever going as long as we live. Ephesians 5 talks about how that we need to be constantly being filled with the Spirit. But the experience of baptism in the Holy Spirit is once. When we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes us and unites us together with Christ eternally and nothing ever takes us from the grip of the Father. But that baptism does not secure much for us if we are not continually under the influence and the control of the Spirit. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is The idea of being under the control, under the influence of the Spirit. Constantly. And that gives us the context to what is happening here because sometimes when we read this kind of passage, we think, can we do this in our time? Yes, we can do that if our lives, if all of us are immersed in the control of the Holy Spirit. Spirit Spirit-filled church, that's a big context. This also... It's a multinational church. I'm building a context to our passage this morning. A multinational uh, church. Acts two five, it says, "These were devout men from every nation under heaven." And in Acts 2, eleven, to eleven, we're told that these were both Jews and proselytes. Proselytes were people who were non-Jews who believed in the God of Israel and wanted to be part of the Jewish family of God. The emphasis here is to remind us that this particular group of people we're going to read about in Acts 2, 42-47 40 are people who were different from one another, from under the sun. They were Cretans, they were Arabians, people who spoke in Arabic language. And my last context before we go this morning is this we see the gospel-driven multiplication here. A spirit-filled church, a multinational church, a gospel-driven church, gospel-hearted church, and we see how God continues to multiply them. So we read in Acts 2.41. It says, So those who received his word, that is Peter's message, were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now you get the point. If this money, switch your imagination this money very quickly. Assume that this money Will was preaching <laughs> and the 3,000 men <laughs> came to faith from different parts of the world. From Africa, Latin America, Australia, uh, North America, and all sorts of places. People who don't understand your language and you don't understand their language. People who are not like you and you are not like them. People whose values are different from yours. And 3,000 of them are in church this morning and they've come come to faith in Christ, you need to baptize them. I guess there'll be two reactions. I could see Will and all the elders here running and full of joy. God will will thank you so much for 3,000 additions. But then I can see some kind of concerns. How do we move forward with all of these men who don't even understand us and we don't understand them? Many of the people we're going to read about here are people who have lived far away in Gentile and Greek worlds. Many of them were Jews, but they they have lived so well, so much, for many years in Greek regions that the culture they had was Greek, but the ethnicity was Jewish. Many of them were actually foreigners in their homeland when they came every year for the Passover. And many foreigners came with them every year to celebrate. So there was this powerful preaching on this glorious day and 3,000 of them stayed back, maybe for a season, maybe for a long time, we don't know, but they were here. What will we do as a church with 3,000 men and women who are not like you? It's so easy to talk about fellowship in the context of our comfort zone It's so easy to talk about unity when we are dealing with people who are like us. But what do you do when these folks are not like you? Maybe 3,000 would be an exaggeration here. Let's say 500 people came to faith in the city and just came to church on a Sunday morning. That's where we are today. And so the first thing that they did, which I think is the most ideal thing to do, the Bible says that if we go to Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves. The word devoted there is a word which means an intentional perseverance. Not haphazard kind of focus on the gospel. This church and their leaders were intentionally persevering in the gospel. It's called the Apostles' Doctrine in this stage, because that was where the apostles were the ones holding for these teachings at this point in time. Only the gospel could help all these men grow up together in the Lord Jesus Christ, love one another so dearly, and continue to reach out to their neighborhood. So what they did, first of all, was keep the centrality of the gospel there. People ask me all the, all the time, what, what else do we need to do? <laughs> I remind them, I say, do the most important thing first. Make sure the gospel is central to the local church. Make sure the gospel is central to your own life. There is no other way for our hearts to be transformed. Apart from two things. The ministry of the Spirit and the power of the Gospel. As we devote our lives to these two powerful forces in the spiritual life, we will experience a transformation. Very powerful. Every church that remains Christ-focused undergoes Christ transformation, spirit transformation. And when we look at the gospel that Peter preached here, it's obvious that this was was Christ-focused gospel. It's not about ourselves. It's not about our programs. It's not about our events. First and foremost, it's about Jesus. That's the only thing that can unite people of different backgrounds and cultures together. Because we are all sinful men and women, boys and girls, our only hope is in the gospel. And the gospel is not just about how Jesus Christ came to die for our sins and how we can go to heaven. It's greatly about that, but it's also how we as human beings are also reconciled to one another. It's in the gospel that we have this reconciliation. It's in the gospel we are told that the partition that once stood between us has been pulled down and everybody can come into God's family right now despite your culture, your social context, your educational context, it doesn't matter. The gospel that must keep a church very powerful and very missional must be an inclusive gospel a gospel preached clearly, very Christ-focused, but also very clear in terms that this is for everyone, despite who you are. Why is this very important? Because sometimes we we have movements who say things like, "Oh, uh, Christianity is a white man's religion," and I say, "No." It's not a white man's religion. Christianity is for everyone who believes in Christ. But we have to preach a gospel that shows that very clearly. Look at yourself this morning, people from different parts of the world. What else can unite our hearts together? What else brings us here? Why why, why are we here this morning? Why are we here? Why are we not somewhere else where people who are like us exist? because of Jesus. So as we look into the new year and we're hungry for more people to come to faith, we must remember one thing, as a united church, that we must be a church, not just spirit-led, but very highly gospel, Christ-focused church. And that's very powerful. I don't know any other thing that could solve any, any, any other problem of the heart apart from the gospel. The next thing they did here was the Bible talks about they also devoted themselves to their fellowship. Please don't miss out the article there because it's so important. It means that these things were being done intentionally, very organic, not has that kind of fellowship. The reason why I gave you a context earlier to this is to understand the kind of fellowship that's going on here. It's not just the idea of, oh, they were just sharing together, loving together. This was cross-cultural fellowship. These were men from different parts of the world having fellowship together. <laughs> it's amazing. Have you ever been invited to an event where you were probably the only person there, not like the rest, and nobody was talking to you? When we moved to London two years ago, we were looking for a church to attend. We visited a church on a Sunday morning like this. There were just about 20 people in the hall. And we walked in. To our surprise, After the service, nobody spoke to us. I can understand a big church, but when you have 20 people in a hall, and you have three conspicuous black people who walk into a church, can you not see us? (laughs) Many years ago, I I used to be very upset, but now I I think it's just that people don't understand the gospel. It's a gospel issue. It's, It's not that they're racist. It's a gospel problem. It's an issue of the heart. And for many of them, they really believe the gospel, but also nobody has taught them how to have fellowship with the other with people who are not like us. So I told my wife, I said, well, I would have loved to remain in this church, but it's unfortunate because I have a family who would be very sensitive to such issues. We have to go to another church. But if you flip your mind back to the context I built earlier, that this was the Spirit at work in this church. When the Spirit is at work in our hearts, our colors will become inconsequential. Our backgrounds will not be important anymore. Because everything the Spirit is doing is uniting us together in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, it doesn't mean that we are no longer different. Actually, we will remain different forever. Unity, a spirit-led unity, is not an eradication of our differences. There's no point pretending this morning that I'm a white man, I'm not. There's no point pretending that you're not white, you're, you're not white, you are. The uniqueness of our fellowship is that we have one thing in common. We have our Savior who has brought us together by His death and His resurrection. And that is bigger and deeper than anything that could unite us. Actually, true unity is actually celebrating and loving people, knowing fully well that they are different from you. That's true unity. The moment you try to eradicate differences, unity is lost. And it's this pain that we run away from, and that's why we love people who are like us. But when the Spirit is at work, it transforms us by the gospel. Caring for the needy. This church Bible tells us how that they were so caring that no everything they sold, they gave to the poor. They gave to those who were needy amongst them. Verse 45 talks about how that they sold, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the process to all as any hard need. They weren't practicing communism. Communism was someone up there giving instruction to you to give all you have. This was voluntary. This was this was a prompting of the spirit. In fact, the Bible is not giving a prescription here of how to do it. It's just telling us a narrative of how the spirit was work at, at work in the lives of these people. I'll tell you a story dear friends. When I was a pastor in Bristol, I, 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 something happened that I could, I could never forget in my life. There was this Pakistani young man who was part of our church family. Another Pakistani young man came to church on this particular day, and they got to know each other. From that service, he, he, he got talking to the Pakistani guy who was new to, uh, to church and to the U.K., And after a while, he got him to come and stay with him in his his flat. A year passed by, two years passed by, but the fourth year, this Pakistani guy that he met in church, he didn't know him from home, was still staying with him. The elders called him and said, How are you coping? How are you coping with somebody living with you? For three years, no job, no income? He just smiled. I was part of the eldership. He was out there. He smiled. He said, what do you mean? He said, how are you copying? He said, what, copying what? So we, we asked him exactly the question, how are you doing financially with this guy? He just smiled. And he dropped the bump share. He said, I went to my bank. I ordered for two bank cards. And I gave one to my brother in Christ. By this time, everybody was sweating. You gave your bank cards to somebody he didn't know before? <laughs> he said, yes. He said, where we come from to be in Christ is, so, is a serious matter. He said, because we, we, we are under severe persecution where we come from, in Pakistan. And to be in Christ is thicker, deeper than biological brotherhood. That the least he could do for that brother in Christ was to give him, give him access to his that day I learned what I've never learned in any seminary before no commentary can teach you that you think it's impossible it is not when the spirit is at work it's a game changer for every one of us at that time I told him at the meeting, I said I thank you for this I said but I, 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 I had to confess in that meeting that I couldn't do that. Where I come from, if you play with your bank card, your money's gone. <laughs> your money's finished. Before you before you even move an inch, your money's gone. But when God is at work in our hearts, it makes a difference. It's not by power, it's not projects. You don't you're not trying to be who you are not. It's the spirit at work in your heart. And they asked him, has this guy ever done anything wrong with said no, no, that every month he gets a statement, there's no no unusual activity in the account. Fellowship, caring for one another, deeply, lovingly, transparently, not making projects out of people, just loving them. Two of our elders were in tears in this meeting. Were in tears. They were breaking bread together. Uh, a lot of commentators talk about how this could be either the conventional Lord's Supper or they were eating their homes. I think they, they, they did both. I believe the one in Acts two forty-two is more. Of The Lord's Supper, but this particular one in 46 is that they were actually eating in their homes, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. They were observing the Lord's Supper but eating together. Do you know why it's important for us to keep observing the Lord's Supper? Because that's how the church reminds herself, that's how we remind ourselves all the time about the preciousness of our Savior and His death for us. The Bible says that when we eat the bread and drink the wine, it says, remember, that's the moment where we, we recall together Jesus Christ and his death for us. How that he was broken for us. How that we were desperately running on high speed to eternal destruction. He pursued us by his grace. And he gave his life as a ransom for us. He was broken. The communion table is the place where we recall these truths. It's also the place where we we pledge our allegiance to him again. That please help us to become broken also. Broken for your service and broken towards one another. It's a place where we all go back to the feet of of the cross again with humility and with gratitude. That finally we we're, were lost in sins and trespasses have received eternal forgiveness and pardon. A church that focuses a lot on the cross of Jesus will have to be a church under the power of the Spirit because there will be humility. And if you heard this morning, friends, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about, all of us human beings are in rebellion. None of us want, we don't want to follow God, we don't want to do anything with God. We are not just rebellious, we are also restless. We are looking for hope in many places outside of God. We thank God for our living Savior. Out of a great love he has for us, he gave his life as a ransom. that you and I be free From the hold of sin and rebellion and restlessness of life and have eternal hope in him. The church, no wonder this church remained very powerful in God's hands. They didn't just observe the communion table, they ate in their homes. Food, meals in every culture is very powerful. They connect us together. That's when you ask those questions you cannot ask somebody in church ordinarily. Have you ever been to any cross cultural meal before? <laughs> it's interesting. But when Bristol, a family invited us for, for lunch after, after church service, we were very hungry, and we drove straight to this uh, house of this church family friend. We got to this home, and she said, Oh, you guys come to the table, come to the dining table. We go to the dining table, and I saw the pot of rice on the table, and I asked my wife, is that for me alone? The pot of rice she brought to the table was just, kind of, were six six to eight of us. When I saw the pot of rice, I was like, and I'm a typical African man, I was asking, is this for eight people? <laughs> so I said to my wife, let's eat, This is, this, this particular meal is for fellowship. <laughs> When we get home, you cook properly, then I will eat. <laughs> <laughs> then, when, when the rice was dished out, it's like having three spoons, three spoons. I said, no, 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 not for an African man. No, 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 not like me. <laughs> but in love with gratitude, we ate together. In their culture, that's how they eat. In my culture, that rice for eight of us, I alone will finish it easily and still be, and still be very healthy. But that's the beauty of breaking bread. cross-cultural meals. It's it's not that we don't have food to eat at home. It's love we're sharing together. That's the whole point. It's not like we're too hungry. But that's the place we care and we share together. Friends, don't try to do, do heavy deep cleaning before you can invite people to your house. It's unnecessary. Don't wait for six months to clean and clean and tidy up the whole house. It's not necessary. What matters when you invite people is love and care and share it together. That's all. I'm not saying that our houses should be untidy. I'm just saying that there's no need to think everything has to be perfect before you can invite people to your home. As a matter of fact, it's good for us to see you the way you are at home at times. That's love. That's being yourself. That's being like Christ. So this church was a church that gave themselves a lot to break in bread. And finally, they were devoted to prayer. And this prayer was corporate, not just individual prayer life. They were doing it together as God's people. Friends, don't ever underestimate the power of of prayers as a group. When as a church we come together to cry and to seek the face of God, Concerning our nation, concerning our, concerning our community, things do happen. I was in Korea this year, middle of this year, and I read a lot about the history of Christianity in Korea. But it was good for me to see for myself what was going on in South Korea. Fifty years ago, South Korea was one of the poorest countries in the whole world. And fifty years is not a long time. Just recent. South Korea was one of the poorest countries in the whole world. A missionary from Wales took the gospel to them. They embraced the gospel. They began to grow. But what caused a revival in South Korea was the prayer life of the church. Every single church I went to in South Korea had a prayer room or prayer rooms. There were big rooms collective prayer, there were small rooms where you could go in, stay for an hour or two when you move out, somebody else comes in 24 hour prayer chain 50 years South Korea has become about the fourth or fifth most industrialized nation in the world as the Lord was increasing and blessing the church the church became impact for the nation as well some of, the high, some of the, what, the high tech we use in Britain, they already are, they already, they've been using them in Korea for 20 years. What we call the latest tech in the West. Prayer life. Friends, let's come together to pray more than ever. The challenge of Western Christianity is this. We, learn to, we plan a lot, but we pray very little. Africa is the opposite. We pray a lot and plan very little. But what if we have both? Very powerful. Plan, pray, plan, pray. Don't de- Prayer is a place where we depend upon the omnipotence of God. When we pray, we say, God, we can't do it by ourselves, but you got the power. So we're we we are asking to do it. Move in our city, move in our homes, move in our communities. And lastly, what happened here? Look at the result of this church. Like I said, not a prescription, it's a narrative. God is just encouraging our hearts this morning. In verse 43, the Bible says that God was doing wonders and signs. Not the apostles, not Tyre, not, not Will. God was walking through them with signs and wonders. We're told that they were full of praise. It became a joyful church. They, they got the favor of the community and lastly, the church was growing. God was adding to them. They were not even going out yet to the community. Just being a church that's spirit-led by the power of the gospel, growing in fellowship, loving, eating together, and praying together. Look at the result. It is my prayer that as a church, not just a redeemer, as a church, all of us, would give ourselves more with these basic essential spiritual things and let God walk through us again and again may God bless you all let me pray Father God I want to thank you again and I pray that these four spiritual disciplines will be our desire will be our hope will be our aspiration this year as your people. Please continue to unite our hearts together in the gospel. Help us to love one another very deeply. Help us to be people of prayer. Help us to be people who love you, who want to pray together as well. I will pray that you will use us to reach out to more people in our community here for your praise and for your glory. And we ask for this, Lord. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen.